I've never really preached an entire series on the Holy Spirit, and so I'm really looking forward to it. And you probably have many uh, questions in your mind when it comes to the Holy Spirit, maybe a lot of different perspectives. Uh, For some of you, the idea of the Holy Spirit, well, it's kind of mysterious. And maybe it's mysterious because in some of our older translations of the Bible, uh, more uh, specifically the King James Version, when we read the phrase Holy Spirit, it's actually translated Holy Ghost. And so we wonder, is the Spirit a ghost? And there's a lot of, a lot of mystery surrounding uh, the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And for others of you, there might be just a little bit of fear when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You may be one of those persons that's afraid to talk too much about the Spirit or maybe give too much credit to the Holy Spirit. I've actually known ministers who've been fired for preaching on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned to you that I was invited to go back to Atlanta uh, to preach for a church that I was involved in helping get started 20 years ago. And they were having their 20th anniversary. And so I was honored, of course, to go back and and be the speaker on on that day. And while I was there, a, a lady who had at one time been a member of that church Uh, came up to me and uh, she's an author she's written four or five books and she's written uh, uh, her latest book uh, that she's written she said I'd like for you to to have so she gave it to me and I was honored to receive uh, her gift and and in that book she tells a story on page 189 uh, about a minister who was fired and and here's what she said she said "Uh, I was I was devastated of course I wanted to know why so I asked for a meeting with the elders I was told that the elders felt that this minister was too liberal and they didn't want to expose the Christians at that place to his liberal teaching. His liberal views were were that he had stated his belief that the Holy Spirit is active in the lives of Christians today. What heresy. Anyway, in contrast, the elders believed that the Holy Spirit was only evident from what we read in the Bible. So here's a young minister who is fired because he believed the Holy Spirit did more than author a book. Now, I know this minister very well, because the minister she's referring to in in this book was, in fact, me. So I know from personal experience that preaching on the Holy Spirit can be a very dangerous thing. That's why I've asked Wilson to preach the rest of the messages in this series after, after today. Actually, Wilson is preaching next Sunday morning. So, Wilson, I hope you're not fired after next Sunday morning's message. But you know, sometimes talking too much about the Holy Spirit, for some, you know, they think that's dangerous. And so there's a lot of mystery regarding the Spirit. We have a lot of questions regarding the Holy Spirit. We might think it's it's a dangerous topic. Still for others, and maybe you might fall in this category today, there's a lot of curiosity when we think of the person, the third person in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Many of us think the Holy Spirit is like our pituitary gland. You know it's there. You're glad you've got it. You don't want to lose it, but you really don't know exactly what it does. And so a lot of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, that's what comes to our minds. And, and yet it's such an important and crucial doctrine. And so we're going to talk for the next few weeks about the Holy Spirit. And I've decided to launch this message series out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Now, Acts is really um, 
an important book. We, we call it a lot of times the Acts of the Apostles, and we know Acts is really about two big apostles. Uh, the first half of the book is about Peter, and the second half of the book, the key leader in Acts, is Paul. But some have described and characterized the book as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because 59 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is referred to. And and Luke opens the book with these words. He writes this. In my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And as I read that verse, a key word jumps out at me. It's the little word, began. Luke, as he wrote the book of Luke, he's writing about what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. And now the companion volume, the book of Acts, Jesus says, really what we're doing, what we're reading about, we're reading about the church, and we're reading about this group of people that's, that's continuing the ministry of Jesus. That's what we're about as the church. We're continuing to teach the things that Jesus taught, and we're continuing to do the things that Jesus did. And Acts 1 opens, and and Jesus, we know, has gone to the cross, and he was raised from the dead, and now Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them about the reign and rule of God. And he gives some specific instructions to his disciples. And one of the things he says, he says, I want you to wait. You're not to leave Jerusalem. I have this sense that the disciples may have wanted to leave because you may recall at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew gives them this mission. He says, I want you to go to all the nations. I I want you to make disciples of all the nations. They are given this incredible mission. And yet Jesus now says, now before you go, I want you to wait. I want you to stay right here. And we wonder, why are they to wait? Well, Paul tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 where he says, Wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. And we wonder, what is this gift? Well, that gift is the promised Holy Spirit, which would be poured out on them on Pentecost. Now, as I said in my opening remarks that I've entitled this message, Poured Out. Uh, Leonard Allen has recently written a book on the Holy Spirit with that title, and I really like, I like that phrase, but, but more than that, I like the imagery. I like the imagery of water being poured out, how that water nourishes us and cleanses us, how that, that water refreshes us. And you have this image in both Testaments, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, describing the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit during the time of the Messiah. And so, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3, God says through this prophet, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry land. I will pour out my spirit on, on your offspring and blessing on your descendants. But as I said, that image is not only used in the Old Testament, that image is also used in the New Testament. Later, Paul, in writing to, to Titus, would say in chapter 3 and verse he would say how that we're saved by the washing and renewal and rebirth that comes by the Holy Spirit. Notice, he says, that's poured out on us generously through Jesus. And then as the church is later launched in Acts chapter 2, we have this pouring out of the Spirit. 
And so because we know that Acts is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus, it's a continuation of the story of Jesus, the question I've been wrestling this week is, how do we carry that mission and ministry out? Where does the power come to do the things that Jesus asks us to do and to teach the things that Jesus taught? Well, let's think for a moment about the disciples. Here's the disciples, and they're, they're waiting in that, that upper room, and we wonder, what, what are they doing? Well, what they're doing is, is they're, they're praying. And we know that's very, very important. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says they all came together and they prayed. Think also about the disciples. What had they received? The disciples had received the teaching of Jesus. They heard Jesus teach with his own lips. They were in Jesus' presence when they watched him teach and they saw the crowds react to the things that he had said. And you know, there's a sense in which We've got a lot of knowledge, too. Though, though we haven't been in the very presence of Jesus, we have more Bibles, and we have more Bible studies, and we have more websites than ever at our disposal. If we look at also what the disciples were doing, they had incredible fellowship. These disciples were together, and they were praying. And all that can be said of us. We have incredible knowledge. We spend time praying. We, we've just come through a season of 30 days where we've been praying specifically by name for people in our community. We have incredible fellowship. In just a few moments after this message, we're going to experience classes. And, and tonight, many of you will be in, in life groups and small groups. We have a wonderful sense of fellowship. But the question I raise is, where does the power come from to carry out the mission? Where does the power come from to do the things that Jesus has called us to do and the Lord tells us, he says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, there's a close connection between the Holy Spirit and power. In fact, Paul summarizes the ministry of Jesus in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 when he says that his mission was one of the Holy Spirit and power. And all through the book of Acts, we see the disciples doing amazing things in the power of the Spirit. And just as there's a close connection between power and the Spirit, there's also a close connection between the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You see, the Holy Spirit operates through the Word to communicate and motivate and strengthen. But make no mistake, the Spirit's work transcends His Word. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 will say, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. We wonder, where does the power and where does that sense of deep conviction come from? It comes through the Holy Spirit. Paul will tell us in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Word, the Word is the sword of the Spirit. But listen to me very carefully here. The Spirit is not subservient to the Word. No, it's the other way around. The Word is a tool, an implement in the hands of the Spirit to convict and challenge. But the Word of God is not the only implement that, that the Spirit of God will use. The Spirit of God will use the preached Word to convict and challenge us. The Spirit of God will use God's people to, make, to change our lives. The, the Spirit of God will use opportunities and circumstances. 
So what does all this mean for us? When you diminish the role of the Spirit, you diminish the very power source for Christian mission and Christian living. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 to his young protege, he says, as he's describing a group of people, he says, well, they, they, they have a form, a form of godliness, but, but they deny its power. And I wonder sometimes as I look around at some of our churches, are, are they denying its power because they don't really understand the full import and measure of the Holy Spirit? I wonder, some of us, are we, do we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power because... We're not availing ourselves to God's Spirit. Now, later on in this message series, we're going to look very specifically at how God's Spirit works in our lives. But by way of introduction, let me just mention three or four ways. The Spirit, you see, helps us in our weaknesses. Now, every last one of us are weak. It's not like the Spirit helps us in those, you know, extreme times where we're incredibly weak. We're all weak and fallen and broken. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Isn't that good news? To know that when we're praying and we're we're weak, it's the Spirit of God who intercedes. The Spirit fills us with hope. Romans 15, 13, one of my favorite verses, Paul says, may the God of hope, I love how God's described there, the God of hope, he says, may he fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may also overflow with hope that's that's who we're called to be as god's people we traffic in hope we overflow with hope how do we overflow in this hope it's by the power of the holy spirit though may you may come into this room and you might be just a little bit discouraged You might come into this room and maybe you're struggling with a sense of hope, with a sense of a bright future down the road. This scripture says, God, by his Holy Spirit, he empowers you to have this sense of of hope. But the Spirit does something else. The Spirit gives life. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit works in us. Oh, I realize sometimes we feel weak and defeated and discouraged, but remember, Christian, the same Spirit, the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit is at work in us. There was a moment in Jesus' ministry. The disciples were discouraged because Jesus said to them, I'm going to go. John chapter 14 through 16, this upper room discourse he was saying, I, I'm going to the cross, and then I, I'm, I'm going, I'm leaving. But he says, if, if I leave, he will come. The Holy Spirit will come. And so I say this often, but it's true. God with us is good. God in us is better. And I could go on and on. The Spirit brings life, but also the Spirit also helps us Put to death the misdeeds of the body, Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. The list is, is, is vast, but I'll stop there. I just want to summarize all of these passages to help us see what's coming as we begin this message series. My point is that we dare not diminish the power of the Spirit to help us become more transformed into the image of Jesus and to carry out this incredible mission that God has given us. 
And so Jesus says, we're given power by the Holy Spirit to do a very specific thing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Jesus' mission began with his anointing and empowering through the Spirit in Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. The church's mission begins with this outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2. The Spirit empowered Jesus for mission, and now the same Spirit empowers the church to continue this mission that Jesus began. More specifically, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will see power to be my, notice his word, be my witnesses. You see, we're not called to be the judges. Uh, There's some of us, some Christians, I realize from time to time, they like to take that position. But there's only one judge, and that is God. We're not called to be judges. We're not called to be the defense attorney. You see, that's, that's Jesus. One of these days, we're going to stand in front of God, and, and Jesus, our older brother, is going to say to the Father, I know him, he's, he's part of the family. We're not called upon to be the prosecutor. That's, that's Satan. Oh, I realize sometimes we can be discouraging to one another, but we're not to be the prosecuting attorney. No, that's, that's, that's Satan. Who are we called to be? We're called, you see, to be witnesses. If you read carefully what Jesus says here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he does not say you must be my witnesses. He does not say, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you you might be my witnesses. No, what Jesus says here, you will be my witnesses. The truth is, when the Holy Spirit is in you, Jesus' words come out of you in this little verse acts chapter 1 and verse 8 there's not one promise there are two promises the first promise is you will receive power but the second promise is you will be my witnesses it is really a very beautiful thing we get to testify about the things that jesus has done in our life And notice the last part of the verse. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, there's this ever-expanding witness. Leonard Allen, in his book, Poured Out, says two things. It means two things. He said it means, first, wherever we are, we're to bear witness We're to bear witness to the forgiving, healing, freeing power of the gospel. And while we may not all be called to be missionaries, every last one of us who name the name of Jesus are called to be missional. We're all called to bear witness. And we may think to ourselves, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I could share Jesus. I don't know if I could talk about the Lord to other people. Understand, the Lord will give you words to say. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I've got to receive some sort of training, and I'm all for training. Sometimes we think I need to do a lot of preparation. I am for preparation. All of that is true. Yet I'm convinced that we're all called to bear witness. We're all called to speak a good word for Jesus. And he will give you the words to say. But the second thing this means is 
We're all to have a worldwide vision. We need an Acts 1-8 vision. Why are we going to places like Honduras or Africa or Mexico? It's because God, by His Spirit, has sent us to be witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, starting in Lebanon, and radiating out to Judea and Samaria, going all over Tennessee, and finally to the ends of the earth. And that includes places like Mexico and Honduras and Africa and other places the Lord may send us. You know, as you read through the Scriptures, you'll find that there are really three, three sendings. You see, the Father, he, he first sends Jesus into our world. And Jesus lived and he taught and eventually he, he died on a cross for our sins and on the third day he was raised again. Jesus was sent. And now God... The Father and God the Son, they have sent the Holy Spirit. They have sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us individually. Acts 2.38 says, when you repent of your sins and are baptized in the name of Jesus, your sins are washed away and you receive an incredible gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we read from Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that that Spirit both indwells us individually, but the Spirit indwells us corporately, that we gather together to worship the Lord. The Holy Spirit is present. He is here. There's that first sending, God sends the Son. There's that second sending, God the Father and the Son send the Spirit. But there's a, a final sending, and now it's God the Father, Son, and the Spirit. They send us they send the church into our world we're sent into the world to be to be witnesses with the power of the spirit and so we're sent into our schools into our workplaces into our neighborhoods into our restaurants all all to be witnesses we are sent to lebanon and we are sent to mount juliet and we are sent to watertown and we're sent to smith county and we're sent to donaldson and we're sent to nashville wherever we find ourselves going we are a sent people and we're sent with the sweet testimony of what jesus has done in our life he's called us to be witnesses we have a spirit empowered sense of mission as we come to the end of our message today let's go to our heavenly father in prayer heavenly father we are grateful we are grateful for your love and your sovereignty and your care for us jesus we are deeply thankful and grateful for your example and your sacrifice and your presence spirit we are open to your teaching and your leading, and your guiding. Make us more convicted witnesses to the truth of the gospel. May this week be, we be more open to your sending, Father, than ever before. May we pay attention to those moments, dear God, that you orchestrate. Those moments where we might have the opportunity to speak a word for Jesus. Oh God, we are grateful. Father, may we be, and may we see ourselves as a sent people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.